Greetings, everyone. This is Andy Neal for the Play for Keeps podcast, an initiative of the Ashland New Place Festival here in beautiful Ashland, Oregon. Here at Play for Keeps, we are recording compelling new plays with world-class actors, along with conversations with playwrights, actors, and theater professionals, and bringing them here to you on our podcast, making theater accessible worldwide and on demand. We have created this series of podcasts to let you in on the front lines of new works for stage. Today, you'll be hearing a conversation between Laura Jackman and Meredith Freeman. Laura Jackman is a Los Angeles-based playwright, TV writer, and video game writer, originally from Cleveland, Ohio. She is currently a writer and producer for the critically acclaimed epic series, Get Shorty. She is one of the original founders of the Killeroy's List, an initiative that presents an annual list of industry professionals' highly recommended contemporary plays written by female-identifying playwrights. In 2016, she was the host playwright for AMPF's Women's Invitational, which featured plays selected by our volunteer readers from a pool of winners from the Kilroy's list. Meredith Freeman is a playwright, TV writer, and teacher residing in Los Angeles, California. She is a recipient of the Dramatist Guild Writers Alliance Grant and a former Dramatist Guild Fellow. She is also a National New Plays Network's affiliated artist and has participated in numerous NNPN programs and initiatives. Her play, The Luckiest People, was a winner at AMPF's 2015 Fall Festival, and since has been developed into a trilogy and premiered at Curious Theatre Company through the National New Play Network's Rolling World Premiere Program. In 2018, we brought Meredith back to Ashland and reunited her with the original AMPF 2015 Fall Festival cast to workshop the other two plays in the series. Now, without any further ado, a conversation between Laura Jackman and Meredith Freeman. Hello, Laura. Um, I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, when Kara mentioned we'd be chatting, I said to her, you know, I've been actually following your work for quite a while now. Um, I went to graduate school in Chicago, and I did an internship with Ann Filmer at 16th Street. And oh, that's yeah. where I started reading your work and just fell in love. That's so cool. Yeah, I've known your name for years, and it's so it's so weird that we've never met. Are you in L.A. now, or where are you? I am. I'm in L.A., um, and I see you in the, you know, we're in that, like, Facebook WGA captains group. Yep. Um, so <laughs> I've seen your name there. Yeah, I write on um, Chicago Med, so I'm over uh, at NBC on the Universal lot. Oh, awesome. And does that mean that you still get to go back to Chicago? I do. Yeah, we film it in Chicago. So whenever it's one of my episodes, I fly back and I'm there for a couple days, which is so great. Awesome. Yeah. And what what show are you on right now? Well, so on Thursday, I actually started a new job, but I don't think I'm allowed to say what it is. Um, And I actually don't even because because it's such a so it's my first time jumping onto something that they call a four quadrant property which was new terminology to me but it's sort of like a worldwide genre phenomenon sort of thing um but I've only been there for for 2 days so it's still very fresh the job that I've been working for the past 3 years um is a show called Get Shorty which is a show on epics uh, with Chris O'Dowd and Ray Romano. And it's sort of an adaptation of the original Elmore Leonard novel and a little bit of the movie uh, with John Travolta. Um, But, you know, our own characters, but essentially the same situation, which is a low level gangster wants to become a movie producer. (laughs) Um, So that's what I've been doing for the past three years. 
That is so awesome. And how, what was your journey? Were you in Chicago before you came out to LA? How did you go from theater to television and film? Yeah, I was, let's see. So after I graduated college, I went right into an MFA program um, at Ohio University, which is run by Charles Smith and Eric Ramsey, both of whom are um, amazing guys, uh, amazing teachers. Um, and I know that the financial structure of the um, of the program has changed a bit since then, but it was a debt-free, cost-free MFA, um, wow. which was one of my main sort of criteria for it. So once I graduated, I moved to Chicago because that's where um, that's where Charles had started out, and I'd done an internship at Victory Gardens after my first year, and really liked Chicago. Um, and I was there from like 2006, 2007. Uh, really, we didn't move out here full time until 2016, but in 2012, you know, I'd had a fair amount of luck in the Chicago theater scene, a fair number Mm -hmm. of productions, but I had reached a point where I'd had a very successful production that, you know, was remounted by two different theaters. One of them actually was 16th Street Theater, um, you know, all within the span of a year. And my director and I, we sort of did the rounds in town and, you know, Chicago is all mostly ensemble theater companies. And we sort of said, Hey, we want to work for you guys and what can we do? And I'll write something. And, um, it, it felt a little bit like a, like a brush off. Like we just couldn't get traction anywhere else. Mm. And I sort of reached a point where I wanted to be in the room collaborating more often. And it just so happened that in 2012, I wrote a play that was, a little bit more realistic and naturalistic than the stuff I had been writing. Mm-hmm. And my theater agent at the time said, Hey, I think the TV lit department would really respond to this, set it along to them. And basically I, I went out for my first round of meetings, um, that fall and then got staffed on a show, my first staffing season, which was spring 2013. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I, I like did, two jobs, you know, sort of splitting time between Chicago and LA and always moving back to Chicago. And then in 2016, it was just time to, you know, make the full-time leap. And how do you, now that you're out here full-time, how do you balance film, television, theater? Have you found a balance to all of it? I think so. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you know how it goes. It's a the great thing about it is that it takes a lot of pressure off of the theater side of your life, by which mm-hmm. I mean, it takes the financial pressure off the theater side of your life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would go years where I would say, oh my God, I got three commissions this year. That's $18,000. <laughs> That's almost a real person's salary, right? <laughs> And of course, you're only getting the first step of those things. So really, you're making $8,000. And then you're having to try to supplement with adjunct teaching gigs and, you know, other little, you know, $1,000 here, $500 there. And it gets sort of very hard um, to piece together. Uh, so, So TV really sort of, because that's where you're making your money and because that's where your health insurance is coming from, most importantly, mm-hmm. um, it, it really does, I think, let me write the theater stuff that really wants to be live mm-hmm. and not worry so much about, you know, oh, God, how am I going to make rent? How am I going to pay my bills? Absolutely. 
And are you, is in terms of theater, what sort of the main, I know there's always like a million projects we're each working on at a time, right. but is there anything right now that you're really excited about that you're diving into? Um, well, I had a play that was workshop. I, I was, um, I did the CTG LA writers workshop in, uh, 2017, 2018 over the course of that season, which was amazing. It was like a murderer's row of playwrights. And I <laughs> hope I remember everybody's name right now. It was Alicia Harris, Molly Smith Metzler, Jeff Augustine, Marcus Gardley, oh my God. Park, uh, 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 Matthew Paul Olmos, Wow. Oh God, am I forget? I'm going to feel so terrible if I forget anybody. Um, it already it sounds incredible. Yeah, but it was, it was just an incredible group, really amazing group. And, um, uh, they started two years ago, this, uh, public festival where anybody who has, you know, in the, you know, almost 20 years, they've been running this group. Anybody from that group can apply with a play to have a week long workshop and then a public reading. And so one of my plays, not the one that I wrote in the writer's group, um, but a different one, uh, was featured in the festival this year. So that was back in late June. And a lot of folks are excited about that one. So, you know, we're starting to get that one out. And I wrote a new play in the spring, which was my attempt to sort of fuse my, I, I also am a video game writer. Um, mm-hmm. the past four years. So it was my attempt to sort of fuse my video game writing side of things with my life theater side of things. And that's still, you know, really early, but, um, but, but those are the things of the moment. H- how about you? How, how has it been? Have you managed to find a balance, especially on a broadcast show that runs all the time? All the time. It that has been the biggest surprise to me. Like I was always sort of saw the playwright in television as you do six months on the TV show and then six months writing your plays and a broadcast network show is basically 11 months. You get like maybe a month long hiatus, maybe not. Um, So the, the first year the balance was super hard because I was finishing this trilogy commission. And for the first time I was, I was like a year late on the commission, which I like felt terrible about. And so, and I got terrible writer's block too my first year. Like I was so focused on this show and this world that when I went back to write, you know, working on a play, I found it really difficult. Yeah. Um, but luckily that's kind of, it got easier. And now I'm, I'm in my third season of the show and I'm sort of at a place where I just need to find my next play. I just, I had spent about, I guess it was by the end, like five or six years on this trilogy of plays that's finally done. Mm-hmm. And so just sort of figuring out where I'm going to land next. Um, and making sure, I think you said something about this earlier, but really making sure the next thing I write, because I now have this freedom of, you know, I can think of a story and really think, where does it belong? And I want to make sure the next play I write really is supposed to be a play. Um, because I think it's funny, I the, the main criticism I think I'd get of my work was that it'd be like, this is great, but it kind of feels more like a TV show or it kind of feels more like a film. And I, I think it was actually, you know, at the time I sort of, you know, was offended by it. But now writing in television and film, I'm like, yeah, I think a lot of 
a lot of the time, the way I think about story does fit more with TV and film. And so I want to make sure when I write my next play, it really belongs on the stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think it, you know, I've talked, you know, because there are so many playwrights out here now, I've talked to a lot of writers about, you know, do you think that the television writing process has changed how you approach your plays. And and I think what you said is really, really true that it changes what you think is stage worthy or what you want to do in a live setting. I think it also makes you so much faster. Yes. And it also makes you so much um, less sensitive in a really good way. Like, I, I don't know if part of your training was you know, there's that phrase of like director proofing something, or there are all these rules about what people should and shouldn't do in a talk back and how damaging it can be to a writer. Yes. And oh my God, you just throw all of that up there <laughs> yes. because it feels so low stakes. You know, I will bring in new pages to a workshop setting. I'll have the actors read it. And then I'll be like, mm, that still doesn't work, right? How did that feel? What's up with that? What do you want to say instead? And you let, you ask people to pitch you because you realize like, oh, this is so not a big deal. This is so mm-hmm. not a big deal. That's, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's actually the greatest thing. Cause you know, I, I go to set a lot for my show and I told like the first time I came on set, you know, actors are changing lines left and right. And, and I'm like, what, what, uh, what uh, is it? Uh, and then now I go into a theater rehearsal and it's true. I'm, I'm less nervous. Mm-hmm. I'm so much more collaborative. I'm not precious about things. And it's until you said that I never sort of made the connection, but it, it has, I think made me such an, a, an easier collaborator. And I don't, I don't freak out in the same way. Like, you know, when you have a show that's every episode is a couple million dollars and you've got all this pressure and then you go to like, you're reading and you're like this, we're going to be fine. It'll like, even if the reading's not perfect, it's going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. (laughs) And it's, you're right. It, It does give you a certain invulnerability when you sort of say, okay, I'm covering set and I'm walking onto the set of a $50 million production. And so these decisions, they really matter. And not only do I have to be an authority, but I also have to be seamlessly able and willing to sort of cede authority, you know, does, you know, does the actor or director want a line change here? Do they want a staging change? Well, what's the implication of that? Is that something that I should call my showrunner about? Is that something I can make the call on? And it makes you, again, I, I think it just, it makes you a better collaborator and it makes you pretty unflappable under pressure, which is a great skill to have as a playwright. Absolutely. And I think you also realize, you know, like I remember my first time on set, I was so scared and, and, and everything goes wrong. It's, you know, every day something goes wrong. Every day there's some kind of little fire. And when you weather that, it's true. You so you feel so unflappable. You feel like I can kind of just take whatever comes. Nothing's gonna, you know, make me curl up in the fetal position. Mm-hmm. You just, like you said, you think about the implications. Okay, if I don't do this, what happens if I do do this? Um, and you, you become a much, I guess, just stronger person. A hundred percent. I mean, it really is, you know, 
it, every set is different, you know, and it, every working process is different. You know, we, for Get Shorty, we have a producing director who doesn't direct all of the episodes, but directs most of them. And so because he's an EP and he's been on the show since season one, there's a relationship there. There's a rapport there. And it also is just, um, yeah, it, it's just super easy to, I, you know, the stakes change and because i think the stakes are so high in tv it makes the stakes of everything else just seem like this is manageable this is a manageable problem and do you find um you know when you've been in tv world for a long time and then you step into a workshop for a new play or even just like you know one day reading what's like the immediate difference you feel or or uh, i always find like (laughs) I sort of feel like I've come home or like I just, my shoulders relax a little. Yeah. It's a, I think I value it so much more and I think I'm capable of living so much more in the moment Mm. in a way that I just wasn't before. I, I think that because the theater economy is a gift economy and a scarcity model, um, it's hard to go into any sort of process and say, well, what's this going to get me? And are they really interested in this? And will they produce it? And, um, or will somebody else want to read it? Or, well, you know, it, it puts you in the exact wrong mindset mm-hmm. to get the work done and, and to live in the moment of what you're actually doing in the workshop for the reading, whatever. And because again, our time has become, so much more difficult to manage yeah. whenever you are in a situation where you're going to going to play, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so grateful for this. I'm here to accomplish X, Y, Z. And then, you know, you can just focus on that as opposed to, well, will they do it in the next season? What about the season after that? Will they, do they want to the festival? And you know, I mean, you know how it is. I don't know what my schedule is going to be, but I know that this is not an industry where there is such a thing as a vacation day or time off. Mm -hmm. And so when you get the rare week of working on something, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And you sort of have no expectations moving forward, which is a great freedom. And how do you, um, you know, if you have a production next year, how do you, um, do you ask for time off in, TV land, or do you, have you had to kind of make compromises in terms of how much you're in the room for productions? I have not yet had that issue that really the only thing I've had to ask for is, um, like if I'm going to be away for a festival or something like that, like a new play festival, um, uh, you know, I will sort of say, you know, and get shorty. I'm very lucky because when we're in session, we're mostly a three day a week room. That's oh. because there are four of us. And so when there are a lot of scripts to go with, when people are out writing, there's no point in having the room because our showrunner is never out of the room. It's not, it isn't a broadcast situation where because you're running year round, that person has to be in and out and in post and on set and in a room and all that stuff. That's not right. what our room is. Davy really protects the process. So um, the room can't function without all of us there. Um, but also if I let him know in enough time and I say, hey, this week in January, can I leave early on Wednesday and be out on Friday? And in- inevitably, you know, I mean, I did that 
I think last January. And of course I had an outline due. The following <laughs> of Monday. course. And of course I'm just sort of like, okay, well, instead of sitting in the talk bags for other people's readings, I'm going to be out in the theater lobby working on the outline. And I'm going to see if I can pay the hotel $30 extra to stay in the room for two more hours <laughs> and write. And then I'm going to write on the plan on the way back. You just get it done. Yeah. You know what you I mean? You figure it out. You figure it out. Um, I have not yet been in a situation where it's been like, oh, it's a world premiere. It's out of town. It's during the room. So I haven't had to fully reckon with that yet. Um, I, I don't know how I do it. I don't, I don't know. It's, I, my actually, the sort of hardest one I've had is when I first got, and I got this job in such a weird roundabout way where, um, I was in New York and I was writing my plays and I was kind of at a place where I, you know, had done the probably four or five years of just playwriting, um, development limbo, mm -hmm. and then had finally started to get productions. Um, and I was getting some rolling world premieres through the national new play network, which have you, I, I feel like you have also worked with them a lot. I did sort of in my early career. Yeah. And then I, I like got one of their sort of early commissions, but it was under a different administration at that theater. And I ended up just never finishing the commission because it, it just sort of didn't make sense anymore. And also the theater leadership had completely changed. Um, I think they're terrific. Um, but yeah, it was more in the earlier part of my career when I, when I was writing more, when I had time to write more. Sure. Um, what was my point? Nash oh yeah. So I <laughs> And, and I'll just for anybody listening, NMPN's the National New Play Network. Um, I had so starting to get some traction and get regional productions, but I was, you know, living in New York and also doing a million different day jobs. And I kind of reached this point where I was like, I can't, I, I need to just make my living from writing. Mm -hmm. And I had taught before. So I thought maybe I'll go back to teaching. And I got offered a, a great 10 year track teaching job. I'd get to kind of create a playwriting program and something inside me was like, you know, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't. Cause I was going to move, you know, to a small town and, and it would have been great, but I, I just had a sense that maybe it was time to transition into TV and film. And I had always been interested at my grad program had been writing for the stage and screen. Um, so I got anyways, long story short, I was talking to a, this good friend of mine. And he said, um, you know, I have this, my brother-in-law writes for this show on NBC. Why don't I introduce you? And so within a month I had an interview and then I had to move in four days from New York to LA. Oh my God. And then the second week of the job, I was supposed to go to a week long playwriting workshop, um, in Colorado that had already been cast. All the actors had been hired. Um, it was, and it was for a play that the theater was then going to produce. And I was like, I don't know how I start this job and ask for a week off. And so I just, I felt like I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I, I called the artist director and I had to back out of the workshop and it was, I felt sick, like physically ill. I was like, I will pay for the act. Like, and luckily they got another playwright and, and did her play and they were able to use all the same actors and it, and it worked out fine. But that was like, oh, I just felt awful. And, and I was, and that was like, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this. Like if I have to say no to things and, um, but then it, it was fine in the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it eventually has a way of working out and I feel like it's also 
in, you know, whenever, uh, whenever an opportunity sort of arises and they say, well, this is what it is. And it's five days of rehearsal from 10 to two. And then I'm kind of like, well, cool. The way it works for me is to have a three hour rehearsal on the first day and uh, then a day off so that I can actually write. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll do this. I've gotten so much more efficient. And so I've learned that it's possible to sort of say, okay, well, what if we run this Thursday through Sunday? And what if we do this? And can I have this instead? And that has, I've managed to sort of get some traction there, but yeah, I think the, it used to be that you could sort of say, oh, well, I'll apply for summer stuff because I'll have summers off. Well, no, I, you no. know, especially if you're on a, a short order, which I have been for the past three seasons, we're on a 14, 15 month calendar. And so it's changed every single year. The first year, the room ran like May through November. And then the second year, it ran August through April. And then the last season, it ran September through May. So you just never know when you're going to be free. So part of my philosophy is like, apply for everything, go wholeheartedly into everything, and then see if you can make it work later. Um, And it sounds like you're not, I I love that you're, it sounds like you're not afraid to ask for what you need out of a process to, to make it like I sometimes, you know, will be like, I know this process I'm going to, and isn't going to be the most productive to me, but I don't want to, you know, mess with what they have set up. But it, it sounds like you've developed, um, the confidence to kind of ask for what you need in a, in a workshop or a development process. Yeah, I think so. And, and generally if the theater pushes back on that, then I know that that's probably a sign that, that this isn't going to be the most yeah. useful relationship for, for either of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I, I don't know how you found about this or, or how you feel about this. The One of the craziest things about getting into television is that it, it if you've gone a long time without feeling valued, it can make you feel very, very valued. And then when you sort of go back to theater and some institutions can give off the feeling of like, oh, we think playwrights are idiots or we have a way that we work. And then I'm kind of like, cool. So you guys need to get with the times because Uh you need to assume that we know what we're doing as opposed to your institution sort of being the one that's going to teach me the correct way to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so yeah. true. I was just talking to a, a playwright friend who just made the, she's still, she gets, um, so she works a lot out in the Bay area and in LA and started writing for television two years ago. And she says now, you know, there's certain things in theater that she just won't accept anymore. Yeah. She won't accept late payments. She won't accept doing, you know, 800 million drafts for a commission. Um, and it's, it's just made her realize like how valuable her time and her skill is. Um, and she's just gotten a lot more confident in terms of saying, I will do this. I won't do that. I'm not going to work for free. Um, which is great. Absolutely. I mean, it, it really does. I remember, you know, going on certain general theater meetings after I'd logged a few years in TV 
and having a very, a literary manager tell me in this very wan voice, like, I really enjoyed your play and me being like, cool, it doesn't matter to me. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) If you don't respond to it, that's great. We don't have to pursue this. You don't have to pretend you like it Mm -hmm. on to the next, or maybe this isn't a good idea, us working together. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It does make you, I think, Theater, I think, wants you to hang on for three, four years waiting for something. And you're right. You you start to realize, oh, I think my time is more valuable than this. And if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. I'm not going to sort of sit here in a state of constant hope yeah. and uh, and desperation, which is no fun. It's no fun for anybody. It's no fun. Um Speaking of, of taking the process into your own hands, one thing that I love, Laura, is you are a founding member of the Kilroys, correct? Yes. And can you just talk a little bit about um, how the founding happened? Was that once you had already moved to L.A. Um, and sort of how this group of women came together and kind of where the Kilroys is now? Because I know you're, you've either just handed it over to a new class or you're in the process of handing it over. Right. So we... It was after I'd uh, sort of temporarily moved out here for my first job in 2013, um, before I moved here full time. But what happened was Anna Feinberg um, basically, you know, threw a party at her apartment and it just so happened that only women showed up. (laughs) Um, And, you know, as is our want when we all get together, we started talking about our frustrations with our theater careers. And those of us who were literary managers at the times at the time talked about their frustrations with, um, you know, getting plays by women produced and and their difficulties in sort of dealing with their artistic directors and their notions and, and all that stuff. And I, I think this is a fairly common conversation, but the really unique thing that came out of it was we all said, okay, well, we're having individual frustrations with our individual careers. So what is, what can we do about it? And we decided to do something for the community instead of doing something for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really the idea for the Kilroys, it, it came out of that very first meeting And, you know, the group grew, we invited a couple more people in, and eventually there were 13 of us, um, playwrights and producers and literary managers, all based in LA, and we wanted to do something to lift up the community. And we wanted it to be what we call sort of um, uh, forward-facing and uh, positive. We had seen all the good work that other organizations had been doing, like 50-50 by 2020, um, and what we had noticed was that if you come at artistic directors and tell them you're not trying hard enough, you're not working hard enough, you're doing something wrong, they would get very hostile in response. And they would say this thing, which was, oh, well, we just choose the best place. We just pick the best place. And it's a pipeline problem and this, that, or the other. And we found that if you sort of criticize somebody it doesn't make them change. It just makes them sort of draw up into a posture or a stance um, where nothing still gets done. And so we came, you know, inspired by Franklin Leonard's The Blacklist, which is uh, 
essentially, I think what they bill it as is the industry's favorite unproduced screenplays every single year. Um, and so we said, all right, well, why don't we have the same thing for um, female identifying writers every single year? And so I think we did by the end of it, um, four or five versions of the list. And we also did a couple other, you know, what we call like radical actions to reward theater companies that had already hit parity in their seasons. Um, we, in 2016, we were tired and we thought for sure that we'd have a woman president that fall. And we thought, well, the industry is coming up with all these similar initiatives. Maybe this isn't necessary anymore. And then 2016 happened and we were like, okay, we think we're necessary. And so we decided we're going to do two more years of this. And then we're going to figure out what we want to do. But for a while, we were like, we're just going to fold it, like sort of like 13P. It's just going to be, it's just going to be over. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of said, well, we don't want it to be over. We want to turn it over to a group of people who maybe are more radical than we are, who have other ideas than different ideas than we do. And so we conducted a year-long submission process to find the new class of Kilroys and then officially turned over the keys to the organization, I think it was last October, September, October. So September, October, 2018. Um, we did it for five years and then we turned it over and, and we have no involvement anymore. We, you know, helped them sort of gear up on the first few things and we did a couple things together and this year's list was, was all them. And I'm so glad that we did it. I'm so glad mm-hmm. that it exists. I think each of us say that we probably lost a play to it because <laughs> of the added work and effort. Yeah. Um, and it was quite a lot every single year. I mean, Anna in particular, Anna did so much. I mean, there's a book now. We have, um, uh, you know, a book that Playscripts has published two volumes of, which is monologues from the plays from the Kilroy's List. And even though we weren't actually reading the plays, I know that's a common misconception. They thought that we chose the plays. We did mm-hmm. not choose the plays. The industry chose the plays. We haven't even read the plays. Um, it's still a ton of behind-the-scenes work. Um, but it, it was something really necessary for the community. And while I can't point to data specifically, like we wouldn't, there, we just don't feel comfortable taking credit for, for things, but we do think it's made a measurable impact on the field. And that was our hope. Absolutely. And I think just, I remember, you know, the vibe I would get from playwrights after they were on the list was it just, it felt so, it just felt like you were being loved and, and people were celebrating you and celebrating your work. And I agree. It just felt so positive and so, um, also so great, you know, cause you'd see how fair the process was. Like it wasn't just that it wasn't a process to get Kilroy's members plays out there. It was a process to lift up all women. And, you know, sometimes it, I think sometimes there were members plays on the list, but sometimes there weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just, I always thought it was a really impressive initiative and I'm really glad that you guys continued to keep it, uh, decided to keep it going rather than let it fold after the five years. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think we are too. And had, was that also nice? I imagine when you moved to LA to kind of find this little artistic theater home of other women who, because if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the Kilroys, I know a lot were literary managers, but were also playwrights and TV writers. So you had this group of women who were in a very similar situation. 
Yeah. And I think we were all sort of looking for, I think, you know, for the two of us who were literary managers, they were coming at it from a place of LA is so not a, it's not a theater town of the same concentration of a lot of, of a lot of other cities. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so much harder to find community in general, let alone, a theater community. You know, it's not like a city like Chicago or a city like New York where you're all sort of packed in there and you're seeing each other a lot. And LA is just a different sort of thing. And you spend more time in your car, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and so, um, they, I think were like, Oh my God, this is so great. There are more and more playwrights out here. Now it's like, you know, you can't walk a block without seeing another playwright who's right. here writing for TV. But yeah, and for the rest of us, we were seeking out that community and the same sort of support and and figuring out our, our new jobs and our new roles as writers. And um, it, it was sort of a perfect way to come together and stay in touch with that theater community in a city like L.A. And, and in the new class of um, Kilroy's, we actually do have a lot more writers who are primarily New York based this time around. I think it's maybe hmm. five or six of them. We oh, wow. also have a writer who's mostly in Philadelphia. Um, I, um, I think in terms of regionally, I think that was, I think that's maybe it, but a huge LA contingent again, which was really important to us because there is something about having that concentration of theater community in a city like LA. And have you found, um, now being out here a few years, I feel like I'm just starting to really explore the LA theater landscape. Having been out here for a while, what, what's some of the work that's really exciting you in LA or theaters or productions you've seen here recently, um, to kind of, uh, yeah. Um, about well, LA? I just saw last weekend, I saw Jen Silverman's play, The Witch, or witch oh, nice. at the Geffen. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really enjoyed that. Um, I've known Jen for a while, but I've never actually been in the same place when one of her plays was being produced. So it was my first actual exposure to her work. And and Marty Lyons directed, who's a really phenomenally talented director out of Chicago. Um, I really enjoyed that. And I'm actually really excited about the Geffen's current season because it's so many new plays. Um, it's so representative. Um, so that was really exciting to see. Um, I, you know, I'm on the CTG opening night list. I'm, I'm less and less available to be there for those just Mm -hmm. because it's often during a weeknight and my room has always been on the West side. And so getting downtown (laughs) during rush hour from the West side is just impossible. Um, so, you know, I haven't been able to see as much recently, but what I love is that in a way, I think the theater community here has to say they have to make every play an event. They have to make every play really exciting. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, because somebody's going to drive there for it, it's going to take up your whole day basically. Um, but I have a couple upcoming things that I'm going to. So Becca Brunstetter, who's also a Kilroy. So her play, Miss Lily Gets Boned, is uh, being put on um, at the Electric Lodge out in Venice. So I love that. That's my neighborhood. So I don't have to drive very far. Oh, nice. Um, and I'm really excited about this production of um, Little Shop of Horrors that Pasadena Playhouse is doing. Um, 
Yeah, you're right. I do think it takes a while to sort of figure out who are the companies that make work that you respond to and what is that? You have to work a little harder. I certainly had to work harder than I did in Chicago, where Chicago, you know, you could follow friends, you could follow, you knew a lot of the people who were making theater. So you were picking what you saw based on that. What's been your experience of it? Have you found companies that you really like or, or is it just sort of production to production? Well, it's so funny you mentioned the Geffen because I, I I was just there seeing um, my my good friend has to show up there and I saw that Witch was playing and I it's so funny I always sort of in the proximity of Jen Silverman's place and I heard nothing but wonderful things and yeah. so I'm like okay I'm gonna come back and see that but um, I was there seeing uh, my friend has a show Skin Tight right now uh-huh, which uh-huh. is really fun it's by um, Josh Harmon. Um, who wrote Bad Jews and Significant Other, which was on Broadway. Um, and it's starring Adina Menzel, and she was just fabulous in it. And then I find I, I have a lot of actor friends out here who work with a lot of, like, smaller companies, which has been a great way in. I saw something at A Noise Within recently that was wonderful. Um, the Echo, I've seen stuff I've enjoyed. The um, I want to say it's called The Lounge Theater, I think. I even saw some fringe this season. So it just kind of slowly by following friends projects, I'm kind of discovering the landscape. Um, but I, I have to say, I really fell in love with the Geffen. That space was just beautiful. It's a really cool space. And I like that there are two theaters there, you know, one bigger, one smaller. I'm excited for, you know, I think Matt Shackman, who is the AD as of like a year ago, um, I, I think this season is the first season where it's it's really starting to come together in terms of um, the new idea for that theater and, and what they're going to program in the future, which is exciting. And do you have any interest in ever starting your own theater? I mean, you've, you've kind of, the Kilroy's in a sense was a kind of company, but would you ever see yourself as an artistic director or? No, I don't think so. I think... You know, that was sort of the Chicago thing. That's the Chicago way, right? Which is, Mm -hmm. if you want to make work, start a company. And, you know, I I did self-produce. The the play that was then remounted twice, that was a play that we produced um, just on our own with what what I call like $5,000 of real money and $6,000 of fake money, of promised (laughs) money. And we just got so lucky that we were able to do it at Chicago Dramatists the rental, including the lights, they charged us $900 a week because, oh. you know, friends of the theater. Yep. Um, we got a rave review that sold out the production. And I was cleaning the toilets and I was manning the box <laughs> office. And, and you know, we were just doing it. And I had the energy to do that at age 27, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that was really, I think, a singular experience, but it did teach me like, oh, you can be an independent producer. You can put together a team. You can sort of get something done. Um, but it is a ton of work. It's a ton of work. And I think being an artistic director, I think is so much, it's not just the art. It's also the fundraising. It's also figuring out how the bathrooms are getting cleaned. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't, I don't see that for myself in the future. I have to say, what about you? Um, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have, I have really no, uh, it's funny because on the one hand, I, I, I do kind of like taking on leadership positions, 
but I never like the feeling that the buck stops with me. I always like the idea that there's one person past me, right. you know, which is what I appreciate about in, in um, the TV world. Although I actually would, I think it'd be fun to, to show run someday. But I, at this point early on in my career, I like that I'm not the showrunner. I like that I go to somebody and say, is this okay? Or, you know, um, if I make this decision, I have somebody I can run it by. So I guess that's the follower in me. Doesn't really want to lead. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think there's, you know, I didn't even, I have a pilot right now, but I wanted to wait to develop until I actually knew how to produce television. And mm-hmm. The short order show, you really have to fight to to get on set to actually produce to learn those skills. Right. Um, it's not a given anymore. And it's really too bad because the studios, I know, see it as a, you know, it saves them money. And I think they're able to convince a lot of showrunners, oh, you'll be able to do it all yourself. You'll be able to cover set and be chasing the production schedule with rewrites and be in post and do all this stuff on your own. I think that's a fallacy. Um, And I think they are preventing sort of the next generation of showrunners from, uh, from coming up basically. Mm -hmm. So even if you, I mean, I hate to say it, but even if you're not getting paid for it, get on set. I, sorry, I'm pausing for a moment to let my cat out of this room because she is making noises. Be gone. Okay. Now she is gone. (laughs) Yeah. I, I will say that is one of the greatest gifts of being on a, you know, show with so many episodes is within probably six weeks of starting the job. I was on set within two months. I was on set by myself. Um, and it's true. There's no other way to learn how to do it except to just do it. You just have to do it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, what do you sort of see in the next, let's say you could dream the next sort of five to 10 years of your theater television life? How would you like it to go? Oh God. <laughs> I, I talk about that with my therapist all the time. Um, Just think of me as your therapist, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to say. It's, you know, in a way I, I think I have a lot of sort of built-in pre-morning of the theater side of my career. You know, I, I think I've never been a better writer than I am now. I've never been more capable of dealing with a production, a high-profile prof- high production than I am right now. But the thing that is just going to get smaller and smaller is the amount of time that I have. And I've seen this happen to a lot of colleagues where just as they're selling a show, becoming a showrunner, you know, being an upper level writer for the first time, that's when theaters all of a sudden get very serious and say, okay, we want to produce this high profile production of a play of yours. And they're like, that's amazing why didn't you come to me two years ago, one year ago, five years ago when I had the time to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in a way I'm sad about that because I'm like, well, with every new play that I write, if a production happens, I don't know what my schedule is going to be like in a year. And I can't look, I, you know, 
I have a pilot, that means nothing. We still have to take it out. We still have to sell it. And then it has to go through the process. And then, you know, by and large, these things don't end up going into production. But I, you're, I can't commit to being in town for five weeks right. to get this thing up when maybe I'm going to have to be in production somewhere. It's just not how it works. So, you know, that hasn't been a situation I've, I've been in yet, but I, I sort of see it coming on the horizon and I'm like, well, I'll deal with it when I get there. Um, I, you know, there is a comfort in knowing that if something goes, I will have showrunner support that it's not just me having to do it. That's actually like a great relief. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want, I, you're right. I feel the same way as you. I don't want to be the sole person in charge quite yet. Yeah. Um, th- I, I think being able to delegate and assembling a group of people who will help with that. I think that's huge. I think that's really important. Um, you know, and on the video game side of things, I've managed to keep my hand in there and I spent, you know, a lot of nine months of the past year and a half writing the first 20 episodes of this new mobile video game. We're out in beta in uh, Canada and New Zealand. We're not out in the U.S. yet. But, you know, I want to keep that part of my life going as well. Um, But that might also turn into something where it's like helping people break story as Mm -hmm. opposed to doing the actual writing part of it. Can I just ask, how did you, because I've seen this phenomenon on both with TV writers who've gotten into writing video games and playwrights who write video games. How does that happen? I'm super fascinated kind of how you, was it something you sought out or something that kind of fell into your plate? It is something I sought out. During that year um, uh, of, of feeling sort of like, okay, what do I, what do I do next? I want to collaborate more, but how do I do it? I actually ended up applying for a writing position at this video game studio um, whose work I had admired for a long time. And I actually ended up getting a job offer, you know, applying and then being flown out for an interview and then getting an offer and then turning it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after I'd been writing television for two seasons on two different shows, I reached back out to them and I said, hey, well, what about contract work? And so I ended up spending all of 2015, um, you know, working on these projects with them and they would fly me out from Chicago. And, um, it it was something that I, I, I will say this, a lot of writers I know are interested in writing for video games. They don't play video games and those Mm -hmm. two things are not compatible. So it's not just sort of a thing that you, jump into as another writing job, there has mm-hmm. to be a genuine interest. I, I can't tell you, I, I get a lot of calls to consult on theater projects that are in some way related to video games. Um, and I'm like, you, it, and nobody plays video games. They're just sort of interested in the whole idea of it. And I'm like, guys, it's not, it's not that hard. You just have right. to play. Um, and you know, because of that, then uh, I was able to sort of find my way to, um, there's a a mobile studio that is actually run by a guy who's been in games for 25 years as an executive producer and studio founder. And uh, he's also a playwright actually. And so at the time we were represented by the same agent, we got together through that. And then that's how this other job ended up 
um, coming into coming to, to fruition. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's the first thing that you need to have if you are interested in writing for video games is you have to play video games Yeah, and you can actually make your own using languages like twine or inkle or things like that. But it's not the sort of thing that comes to you. It's actually the sort of thing that you have to work very hard to sort of get into that world. It's, it's a process. Wow. And do you still, so did you play video games growing up? Do you still play video games? Is it like, do you keep on the up and up of like the newest games and the new methods? Yes. And yes. Yeah. You know, I didn't grow up, we weren't allowed to play anything on console growing up. Like I never owned a Nintendo. I never owned a Sega, nothing like that. Um, uh, you know, my parents were, my parents already were sort of like no television, uh, until I was <laughs> in middle school, I think, but I played a lot of games on the PC, um, a lot of Infocom games, uh, which were text only games. Uh, I played the, you know, Tomb Raider two on PC, uh, and then a lot of nineties adventure games, um, made by, they went by both LucasArts and Lucasfilm. Um, and so that, those were my first game experiences. And now I play everything. I play indie games. Um, I have a Nintendo switch. I have a PS4. Um, so yeah, I, I, I play pretty much everything. I, I love them a lot. <laughs> and did that, like growing up, if you weren't allowed to watch as much television, did, did gaming have any effect on kind of how you conceptualize storytelling or how you started writing plays? Was there anything about the way games are constructed that found its way into your early playwriting? I don't think so. I mean, I think I wasn't allowed to watch TV until I think we were in middle school. Um, And it's interesting. We shared in one of my rooms what our formative sort of storytelling experiences were. I read a ton of books Mm-hmm. which I think are what got me into uh, playwriting. Um, I never cared about movies, and I don't think I ever will because I never <laughs> saw myself in them. You know, in mm-hmm. The Little Mermaid, sure. Um, but, you know, movies didn't have women in them. They didn't have girls in them, or they had one girl in them. So I just didn't grow up caring about movies at all in the same ways that a lot of male coworkers of mine have. Mm-hmm. Um, so TV was the first place where I was like, oh, the X-Files and Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And you start to see like, oh, okay, wow, you can have shows like Veronica Mars. You can have shows like Battlestar Galactica where I'm seeing not just one woman. I'm seeing a bunch of different women, all of whom have different priorities, all of whom are different um, as opposed to in a lot of movies where there is the one woman and she's, who is she? She's the woman, you know. <laughs> she's beautiful. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so, I've, I've just always been kind of fascinated and have never really uh, learned how, how that works getting into video games. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting world. It really is. Thank you. Do you think there's any last questions or something we should end on? Well, I'm curious about, I'm curious if, in terms of your process, not in terms of like a, like a public facing presentation, but do you think that TV writing has changed the way that you write at all? Hmm. 
trying to think of it. I've, I've actually thought about this a lot. Um, and I, I haven't really found the answer yet. I, I think it does help me move more quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a very, 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 very slow writer, which I think is how, what most writers are. Very mm-hmm. slow. <laughs> um, so I think I'm less precious about getting a first draft out. Um, but I actually, I, I haven't really put this into practice yet, but what I suspect with my next play is that I will be far more adventurous. Um, I tend to really live in realism and naturalism as a writer, which is not how I started. I was, I started kind of, Sarah Rule was my first love. And so I was just really trying so hard to write magical realism at the beginning of my career. And it was like, you know, it just didn't quite fit. Mm. I sort of knew it. And I, I kind of finally recognized the difference between really appreciating something and recognizing that that wasn't my voice though. Um, but now I feel because I guess I feel like now I, I have carved out this home in TV and film. And I feel like if I write a TV show, or if I write a film, there'll be some avenues to pursue at least getting it read and, and, and you know, fingers crossed, picked up or something down the line. Um, but because I have that comfort now of knowing that's a possibility, I don't, I feel like when I come up with my next story for the stage, I can, I think I'll feel the freedom to be a lot more adventurous. And because before it was like, when I came up with a story, the only place I knew it could land was on a stage. Now I feel the freedom of it can land in so many different mediums that um, I really want to just be a little more explosive, a little more um, adventurous, a little more um, spontaneous in, in my playwriting. So I hope that's the effect that it has, but we'll see. That's great. Yeah, that's really great. Well, this was so nice to finally get to chat with you. And now when I see you at Guild event, I'm going to come up and say hello and not feel like a weirdo. Yes, please do. Please do. I'm amazed. It's like we've been one degree of separation for so long. Um, So, yeah, I'm so glad that we finally get the chance to talk a little. Me too. Um, And, you know, if you have anything going on in L.A., please let me know. I'd love to come see it. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Right back at you. Thanks for listening. Before we go, we wanted to thank all of you who made the 2019 Fall Festival a resounding success. Speaking of the Fall Festival, submissions for the 2020 Fall Festival are still open. Go to ashlandnewplace.org for more information. Play for Keeps podcast is a production of the Ashland New Place Festival. It is directed by James Pagliasotti, and this episode was produced by me, Andy Neal, with art direction by Cara Quinn Lewis and written content edited by Carol Florian. Special thanks to AMPF Artistic Director Kyle Hayden, Associate Artistic Director Jackie Apodaca, and Fall Festival host playwright Beth Kander. Visit us at playforkeeps.org. We also have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Help us spread the word. Like, follow, share, and subscribe. I'm your host, Andy Neal. And until next time, remember, want to play? Play for keeps. <laughs>